0: Hi everyone. Um, my name is Dr. Pete Finn, and this is another episode in the special suite of episodes we are doing on the COVID-19 and Democracy podcast around the Hanger Hill election, um, the Hanger Hill ward election in Ealing. Um, just to say, I'm recording this episode on the 21st of April, and so anything that happens after that, obviously, neither myself nor my guest um, today would have any ability to comment on. On the podcast today, I'm speaking to Dr. Fabio Conti. Um, Fabio is a GP in Isleworth and is a lifelong Ealing resident. From 2015 to 2018, he was a councillor in the Northfield branch, uh, a ward in Ealing, and he ran in 2017 as the general election candidate for the Conservative Party in Southall. Oh, and he was, was, pardon me, he was also a Conservative councillor in Northfield. And he, yeah, in 2017, he ran for the Conservative Party in Southall um, for the to, for the general election. And he is running as a Conservative Party candidate in the Hangar Hill ward um, in the elections in May 2017. So firstly, Fabio, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: No problem. Thank you for having
0: me. Oh, you're, very, you're very welcome indeed. Um, so firstly... Um, before we move on to kind of the nitty gritty of the last year, um, can you just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and why you are running to be a local councillor?
1: Sure. Um, so you said I have always lived in Ealing. I'm, I'm a lifelong Ealing resident and I work as a GP in Isworth, so uh nearby. And and one of the reasons I, I wanted to run to be a councillor again, as you said, I was a councillor between 2015 and 2018, is because I found it like an, an experience where you can really get things done locally and um, you really have an ability as a local councillor to try and, and and often small things but things that can make a difference to local residents whether it's on their street or in their local community um, and, I, and I think that's something that I'm really keen to to try and get involved with again um, and I think more broadly uh, over the last few years what I've noticed is that often it feels like the residents aren't being listened to on, on certain issues whether that's uh, for example, on, on low traffic neighbourhoods uh, over the last sort of nine months where they've been introduced much, you know, to residents' objections and, and the council don't really seem to be listening to that or the high rise developments are going up across Ealing. Again, often residents feel like they're not being properly consulted, their views aren't being taken on board. So I want to become a council as well to try and help sort of beat the drum for those issues, make sure to help residents' voices be heard in Hanger Hill And so that's why I I want to stand to to be a councillor.
0: Okay, great. Um, Really interesting there. For for those listeners who aren't too familiar with kind of the the politics or geography of Ealing, uh, yeah, the low traffic neighbourhoods are a particularly uh, contentious issue um, locally, it's fair to say, as are um, kind of the lots of um, high towers that are going up across the borough, Um, both kind of, in the Acton part of Ealing and in in Ealing and the Central so brilliant thank you very much um, for um those insights Conti so um just and finally before we move to kind of locally and to the pandemic what is I mean you've touched on this a bit already but can you explain your kind of um the, the importance of local governments to you and your kind of overall approach to politics
1: So I think local government's really, really important because it's something that actually, I think often, maybe not in the last 12 months, I think national governments had a really huge impact on our lives. But traditionally, local government, I think almost it has a bigger impact in terms of the day to day things that that affect us. And, you know, when you step out of your front door in the morning and you look at the state of your pavement or the litter on your street or your bins being collected, those are all things that are sort of administered locally. And... And therefore, they have a very di- there's often a very direct uh, impact on on your day to day life, and sometimes more national government sometimes can seem, seem more abstract. Um, so, so I think that's why local government's really important, and it can have a real direct effect on, on a local community and and the way that a local community is shaped in terms of the buildings, the the sort of the local parks, etc. So, I think it has it's it's a really powerful way of. Uh, sort of improving people's lives is through local government and in terms of my approach to politics I I, I think that and I hope that I helped to demonstrate this when I I was a councillor previously that Actually, it's about working together, bringing people together. Yes, you know, across you know local government, like any other form of politics, there's you know people with very different views. But actually, if you really want to get things done, I think you need to bring people together, and that's whether that's on a sort of in a, in a community way, um, in terms of the different organisations that you might want to work with, whether you know if you're a councillor or actually in the council with other councillors you know you're often committees with, with people from different parties and I think you know really to get the most out of things it's about you know working together and I think that's the approach that I have sort of, with everything that I do in my life is that you know it, it's you know I think if you can find consensus find things that you agree on um and and work that and work forward from there I think often you can get more things done
0: um okay yeah and so just to say while, while I was doing some research for for this episode actually I came across um a a post of yours from um 2019 actually around and it was to do with um brexit uh from conservative home around brexit and um kind of a plea for unity within your party around that and so that kind of what you just said there well, i was thinking about that post when when you were talking about kind of working so like any political party the conservative party has the different branches um, and, uh, mm. yeah, that was, yeah, okay um so in terms of at the, the actual local ward. so you've talked about, you've already been a local councillor in Northfield, and so you're a lifelong evening resident. You are a GP in Isleworth, which is, um, uh, actually, if anyone listening have been to Isleworth, I would definitely recommend it as well as coming to Ealing. It's a particularly nice part of London. Um, so what is, what is, how would you kind of surmise your connection to the local area, particularly to Hanger Hill?
1: I think the local areas. I've always just thought, thought of myself as an, sort of as an Ealing resident. You know, I, you know, it's it's the area that I've you know, grew up in, lived in, shopping. I sort of do everything pretty much locally, and I think especially in the last twelve months where we've been restricted even more in terms of where we can go. I think that even sort of it may, focused your mind even more on 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 where you live and and sort of the things you have nearby. So, um, you know, I've never lived in in Hanger Hill wards itself but you know i've lived in i've lived in in and around well in leading uh in warfields i live in in sort of hanwell west Ealing area at the moment so uh so yeah i've sort of been connected for 32 years to the borough
0: okay great thanks and uh, i mean lots of the issues that obviously affect uh, other parts of Ealing would obviously uh, affect um,
1: um, yeah, I, I think the uh, you know the, the, obviously w- w- anywhere there are particular issues on particular people's particular streets that you know maybe are, are definitely unique to them. I was speaking to someone yesterday about some particular double yellow lines that they have uh, on, on their road, but 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 broadly, you know, the issues that you speak to people in, in whether it's in Hanger Hill or you know in you know in, in other parts of Ealing, especially nearby. You know, are very similar the themes, you know, especially I touched on, on earlier about overdevelopment, about being listened to, etc. I think that, you know, they are, they sort of cross over, you know, you know large swathes of the borough.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, and how has, turning to, to the pandemic in particular, how has um, the pandemic affected um, kind of the, the borough of Ealing and this, this part of London in general?
1: I think it's had a huge impact and, it, I think I feel like I can answer this in, in sort of a lots of different ways. I think from a, you know, professionally, I think what what I've seen, you know, being a GP over the last twelve months, and you know, I, I work in Islay, but I think this is, this is something that that is happening across the whole country. Is 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 the, the the strain that the last twelve months has 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 put on people, you know, especially you know, the, you know, lockdown and never mind the direct impact of COVID and and actually, you know, if you, if you you caught the disease, but but the impact of being locked down, having reduced social interactions, you know, people not being able to go to work or even losing their jobs, I think there's been a huge strain on people's mental health uh, over the last 12 months, which I think is a huge factor and something which I think we're going to feel for sort of for a long time to come sort of the the impact of that. in terms of sort of sort of other impacts of, of, of COVID, I think the, 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 you know, everybody, I think, has has found that they've had to adapt the way that they live, um, and the things that you often would, you know, would take for granted before, have, have in the last 12 months sometimes seemed almost something that you, you can't, you know, that, that's impossible, you know, you, people want to spend time, I, I just think about Christmas, for example, you know, I would have you know typically spent it with my family and you know I, I couldn't on Christmas Day. you know I went for a a, a walk with my with my mum around the park, but but that was about it. And I think that you know those those really simple human connections that, that you know that we all find so important has have be, have often felt you know very distant and impossible and And I think now as we're moving out of you know the, the current wave and I, I think there is a sense of optimism, hopefully, you know, all of those things that, you know, that we've been able to enjoy in the past, you know, we'll be able to again, you know, really, you know, soon. I think, you know, sort of other impacts, obviously employment. So many people have lost their jobs over the last you know 12 months and, you know, the impacts of that and getting people back into work, I think is going to be a huge challenge moving forward because, you know, also sometimes the nature of some jobs is going to change and, and you know, for example, working from home, you know, more and more companies probably are going to be wanting their employees to do more of that because they found that actually potentially in some instances you know they've, they've been able to get even more productivity out of them so you know i think that the way that the, the impact of covid that's had on our lives i think you know hopefully some some of the ne- hopefully some of those negative things will, will uh you know will ease off of, over the months ahead but i think it's going to have a sort of a very long lasting impact on some features which will go on you know i think probably for years to come and some things may never go back to the way they were pre-covid
0: yeah sure absolutely i mean even it's um you can see lots of ways in which that you can't put the thing back in the box right like the, the kind yeah. of the homeworking the, the idea that everyone needs to be in the same room i mean some meetings you probably do still need to have people in the same room but not yeah not all of them <laughs> um, right. I, and in terms of um the, the council locally um how has Ealing council coach both kind of in terms of strengths and areas where it could have done better
1: i'm not a councillor so i'm going to sort of answer this from a residence point of view in terms sure. of what i've makes experienced sense. over the last sort of 12 months i i think one of the um one of the things that i sort of felt quite directly was when there was the and i thought something that the council along with the nhs i think sort of um, implemented really well was the surge testing that took place in January around West Ealing. So where I lived, is one of the postcodes. And I think, you know, you know, there was a lot of, I think that was right at the start of sort of the lockdown back, back in January. I think there was quite a lot of anxiety around. And then obviously there was news that if there was a new variant potentially detected locally and sort of testing got set up really quite quickly so there was new sort of surge testing it was very easy to get those tests and I, and you know I thought that, that was a you know really I thought that was a really good response in terms of how easy all of that was I think again on, on testing you know that there's been access to asymptomatic lateral flow testing in in lots of libraries across Ealing um, and again for people who you know especially over the lockdown over the last few months have have you know essential workers having to to go to work you know you know I, I booked into that a couple of times just because you know as, uh, as working in the NHS we get lateral flow tests but I, you know, there was a period where I couldn't get some so you know I I, I went to use the, the service at, at, at Greenford library and you know it, it was very easy to book a test I got the result very quickly it was very well organized so you know those features I thought that you know as a resident I thought the council you know delivered really well along with working with, with the NHS test and trace system to do that um, I know, you know, speaking to other people, I don't run a business in Ealing, but but the the business grant scheme that was run, you know, that went from government to, to local authority to shout, uh, went very well in Ealing, uh, and I know that's something that, that I've heard. Um, so I think there are, there are definitely features that, that you know, of what the local council have done well in terms of the pandemic. I think, you know, in terms of areas or or elements where potentially things could have Got better. I know the LTN scheme probably comes under that because part of these traffic schemes were sort of as part of the COVID response in terms of you know obviously people the nature of people changing how they move around and and sort of move, they were sort of part of a um, uh, sort of wider traffic chain you know schemes that could be implemented as a result of COVID. Clearly, I think that you know the, the way that has been handled could have been better. I think you know the way that. Uh, residents could have been consulted and actually listened to um, I think left a lot to be desired and left a lot of frustration so I think there are definitely good things the council have done and I think there are other things that the council could have done better on.
0: Okay thanks and um, really interesting insight um, and so turning to your party and um, the Conservative party how um, was how and I guess this is particularly pertinent to to you your with relation to this election because you're the, the like, nationally, the, it's the Conservative Party is the, the one that's um, so ha- had to deal with this, right? <laughs> As a result of being the party in power. How has the um your party de- dealt with um, the pandemic?
1: So, I think it's a question that we probably could talk for hours about. We, and I, indeed and I, we could. <laughs> I, I've, got, I, I've, I've got lots of different, sort of, views on this and perspectives. I think part of it is also through, through my job in terms of what I've seen in terms of the response and I and I used along with being a GP up until a few months ago I was also on House Clinical Commissioning Group as one of the um uh, one of the board members so we were very much involved in sort of setting up the primary care response to, to COVID last uh, last spring um but but I think that you know clearly the, the situation with COVID was you know when, when this all started last January, you know last end of end of 2019, beginning of 2020, it was a huge unknown. There was so m- much information, and a lot of information that kept changing. And I think that you know, when we look at the initial response, you know, could there things have been done better? I think clearly, you know, one through the hindsight of you know through time and looking back now, there are things that I'm sure, you know, obviously I'm speaking for myself here, but I'm sure the government probably would say that you know there may be things that, that could have been done differently. Um, i you know i thought it was really interesting there was a news conference you know those daily uh, press conferences that uh, i can't remember if it was chris witty or patrick valance was talking about um why didn't they lock down earlier so uh, one of the journalists asked them that a while ago and i thought it was really interesting i can't remember which one of the two it was that answered it but said that the that at the time in march last year they weren't you know until they got towards the around the 20th of march when everything starts happening quite quickly they weren't really very clear about how, sort of, how widespread the infections, COVID infections were across the UK. And I think that, you know, I think if we look back then, you know, there was a few thousand tests happening a day compared to now where, you know, including the lateral flow test, sometimes it's, it's verging on almost 2 million tests a day. So, you know, it, it you know, and, and that was really what they found, how, you know, one of the challenges in terms of knowing when to lock down, how quickly, etc., cetera. And when that information then came out or you know came to their, their knowledge in terms of the amount of people being admitted to hospital that's what really then forced them to act so i think clearly you know looking back now i think you know if we look at the end of february 2020 when you know there were cases in spain and italy you know cases they were much more sort of forward in the in in, in the curve of the pandemic than, than we were you know could we have you know at that time at the end of february made travel restrictions with with countries like france and italy you know, and, and Spain, you know, would that have, have helped? It, you know, it may, may very well have done because I think what we, there was something I was reading a while ago, so don't quote me exactly on it, but I think it was something like COVID was seeded a number of thousands of different times across the UK in that period of time. And, and some of that would have been through travel, you know, potentially with February half term, the end of February where people went, you know, to, to mainland Europe um, and then brought the infection back, you know, et cetera. So it you know, could have something that happen, happened at that point. You know, I think it's very difficult now, you know, you know, looking, you know, thinking now, I can't remember exactly what was in the news in February and how, how much knowledge we had at that time. But clearly, if we, you know, if we had done something then and we had the information that may have, you know, have helped. Now, you know, that, that probably wouldn't have prevented a second or third wave of the infection because, you know, at some point we would have eased off lockdown and, you know, the infection would have gone back. You know, those numbers would have increased again. But, but could we have reduced the, the, the rate of the first wave? potentially with, with that i think one of the other challenges was obviously hands uh, was ppe was something that was really you know right at the beginning of the pandemic there was a lot of news coverage on I know you know working general practice you know initially we found it very difficult to access you know some ppe and you know we were really sort of rationing what we what we did have available at, at the start to be honest we, we found that hope that actually that sort of rectified itself very quickly but i know i remember in the first sort of week or so when there was advice that we should be wearing face masks when seeing patients, etc. You know, we only had a very limited supply, so, so, so that was something that you know that that, that you know that, that, that I think was something that, that struck me at the start. I think in terms of some of the positive things that government have done. I think you know I mentioned before testing. I think you know we're now you know if we think about a few months ago when or towards the end of uh, 2020 when I remember when the prime minister spoke about his moonshot project of potentially offering people weekly you know, uh, COVID test, everyone sort of thought that's, you know, that's ridiculous. They can't even test X number a day. And, you know, and now everyone in England can get two lateral flow tests a week. And, you know, so if we, we, we've come on such a long way in terms of testing. And I think now we're, as I read this a few weeks ago, we're testing more per capita than than, than I think any other major European country uh, that they're doing. So what, what's been built over the last 12 months has been, I think, has been a success. Clearly, you know, would it have been better if we'd already had this 12 months ago? Yes. But, but, but I think that just wasn't a reality at that time. And, you know, even though, you know, governments prepare and plan, and think about pandemics, you know, Covid and I think it was mainly, you know, obviously a lot of planning was around a flu pandemic and, and Covid is, is different. And some of the response that, that's needed has had to be different to that. Um, and obviously, the vaccination program has been a, has been a success as well. and I think that's there's lots of partners involved in that and you know, in the NHS, I know that you know general practice, we, we were vaccinating our practice until very, very recently. now it's moved to a different site. but you know it, it's been you know it's been a huge team effort. but you know the decisions that were made many, many months ago, you know before these vaccines had been developed, that the government procured different vaccines of different types from different manufacturers, they invested, um in uh sort of the clinical trials for lots of these especially the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine clearly that has paid off and and, and I think that the position that we're in now which is you know where, where we have you know relatively very low cases compared to lots of other countries where our hospitalizations are very low we're at a point now which last year only summer could bring it was only due to the hot weather in sort of July and August last year that we got to very low case numbers very low hospital admissions and we're like this now in April so hopefully you know these things will continue to improve so so, so, I think there are clearly things that, that, that could have been done that could have been done better. Um, again, it's like I was saying, it's sometimes it's difficult to to go back and say what could have been done with the information that they had at that time. Um, and there are things that have been done well. And you know, I think I, I think really a true assessment of the whole the whole period will only take, will only come with time. I think you know, in a year or two, when we look back and we see through, you know, look back at the whole of the pandemic. I think that will be when we can make a really clear judgment on the things that truly went right and the things that really went wrong and i hope that there there will be a period where where that reflection will be able to take place
0: yeah sure i mean I, i sort of presume there'll be one or at least one uh, kind of big public inquiry judge led independent able to call whoever but yeah we'll uh, I mean as an academic I'm obviously <laughs> very interested in that but I mean as a as kind of a, a lessons learned exercise as, as a country that will be um, very good um and yeah just so actually Kingston University has had a, a been a testing site and is apparently I think now I haven't been on campus for about four months but I think now is also a vaccination site which is um great. Like, yeah. like just a as, a, as an institution it's great to be feeding into to such, such such things um so there's a phrase being used um by the government um at the moment at a national level but it's kind of filtering down and you hear it uh, you know sometimes these phrases catch um kind of public imagination um, and it's building back better um and so i just wondered how important do you think like like local government will be to building back better and and also what what I mean, and I guess this is interesting both with relation to government also I suppose your job as a GP, what does, what does building better look like to you?
1: I think it's, so I often think slogans aren't always particularly helpful, but I think, you know, in this case, I think when, when we look at moving for, you know, moving forward and, and, you know, how we, you know, come out of the pandemic, I think what, what, what the last twelve months has really shone a light on, I think the pandemic has, is, some, is the level of inequality, because if we look at the how, you know, who COVID has, has impacted, often disproportionately has impacted, you know, the, the poorest people in society, and, and partly that's because of, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole reason for that, you know, the types of jobs people do, the underlying health inequalities that we know with COVID that it, that, you know, the people that are most likely to get very sick and, and die from the disease are people with lots of underlying health conditions, and, and, you know, that often disproportionately affects people from, from poorer backgrounds, so it, for me, I think what's really important is as we, as we we move out of COVID, we need to look at addressing some of the issues that that the light you know that that, uh, that that have been highlighted over the last twelve months. We need to learn from you know sort of from the tragedy that we've seen over the last over the last year, and whether and I think part of that is looking at how do we improve. You know how do also how, how do we narrow inequality? How do we improve people's quality of life? How do we tackle the underlying health inequalities? That's something I'm really passionate about. And I know, you know, I work in in Hounslow, and, and one of the you know one of the one of the big conditions or chronic health problems around there is type two diabetes, which is also reflected in vast you know vast parts of North West London. Is how how do we tackle that? Part of that is ensuring people get more active. how do we do that so we need to make sure that you know when we are building this sort of links back into sort of development but when we're building homes we need to make sure we've got adequate green space because we're building lots of tower blocks lots of flats that don't naturally have you know that don't have gardens you know how do we get allow people to to exercise how do we enhance that how do we you know help people improve the the diets that they eat and and, and what they do so I I think I think that's really important Um, I think the other thing is you know through through covid and we, i spoke about mental health at the start is how do we improve people's mental health how do we improve people's resilience to the challenges that that they face and you know part of that is ensuring that we you know it, you know, Improve people's sort of life chances through employment, through education, um, and I think local government does have a role in that. You know how how could you know, for example, through apprenticeship schemes and, and working with local businesses to, to help that. You know, education. Yes, you know, the, the local authorities you know have a role in, in you know in, in terms of education locally. So there are ways that that local government can feed into this. Um, but I think building back better. Yes, it's about thinking about the economy. Uh, but it's in and it's thinking about infrastructure, but it's also thinking about I think health has to play a huge part in that because the sort of the, the poor but I think part of the reason as well that you know that we that the number of, of deaths that we've seen across the UK is a, a lot of that has been to do with the, with the sort of the, the prevalence of different chronic health problems in the UK. And I think we need to drill down on why that's the case, how we can better manage those conditions to reduce the risk in people moving forward
0: okay great yeah and as you said uh, earlier i mean that'll the the process of that will be years if, if i mean it may even be decades
1: right some of those yeah Um, And I think that's often, I think that's often the problem with politics, is we often look at the very short term answers, because I think, you know, you have natural political, you know, political cycles, you think about, you know, people think about the next election, but, you know, to really answer these questions, you know, really does require long term solutions. And, you know, these are, these are challenges that have been made in, you know, it's taken decades, you know, a lot of these problems have been going on for such a long time, and it's going to take, you know, a long time to solve them. We're not, you know, no one's going to solve these problems in in a few months or a few years. It will take it will take time, and and I think you know, and that's why that's important. And think I didn't mention in terms of building back better, which I, I really wanted to, is social care, because what you know, the last twelve months has also seen is a huge strain on, on social care, and I think that's something you know, with with, a, with an aging population we're only only going to see more of. And I really do hope that you know, over you know, over the course of the next year, that the government Come forward with the their social care white paper, which I know that they've mentioned a number of times in the last few years about finding a long term sustainable footing for social care. Because I think that's so important, and it's going to be even more important in the years ahead. So, uh, so, so I think that that needs to also be part of the building back better agenda.
0: Yeah, sure. And so, for those of our listeners
1: um, that are
0: kind of based abroad, which um, there's there's quite a lot that social care in the UK is is an issue that is growing in importance in. Britain um and successive governments from <laughs> different political hues have basically dodged a bullet on it um and uh, it's becoming more you know the, the longer the, the issue is left to kind of in the background that the more expensive it gets to to deal with so
1: yeah no no definitely and I think and I think that's the thing it's because there's I think part is because there's no easy solution and I think that you know it requires you know it's probably going to involve some you know Some pills to swallow in terms of what people, you know, in terms of finding a solution to social care, and and as you say, multiple governments have. You know, have dodged the bullet. I I remember reading this some time ago when I was still a councillor, because I remember there was a there was a meeting about this where we discussed it. I remember reading an article in in, from two thousand and eight where it talked about the government was dodging, you know, the you know, dealing with social care and and you know clearly that was a Labour government. Clearly, you know, we've had a Conservative government for about ten years now, almost eleven years now, and you know and, and you know apart from. You know the 2017 general election where it was an issue it's not something that's really been spoken about you know particularly it's something that keeps getting pushed in the long grass but it's yeah. going to yeah it, it, need, it needs to be dealt with
0: and it probably to be a sustainable solution it probably needs to be have some cross-party kind of yeah like it has to be well if the solution has to at least in part be well if if we have a change in government then everything that came before doesn't just get completely taken apart and yeah Put
1: you, back you together, <laughs> yeah. no, Exactly. No, it, it needs to be something that you know a, a sort of a plan is put forward, and that 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 there needs to be seen through. And whether you know if there is, you know, and that needs to be even if there is a change in government, because this is something that you can't you know once once you've got a hopefully a plan in motion to deal with this, you can't then say after you know, a year or two, say, oh no, right, we're gonna we're gonna start again. You know, you know, the sector needs stability, and it needs it needs to know where they're going.
0: Yeah absolutely um, and so on just before we wrap up and um, turning back to kind of I guess the local um, what are the most pressing challenges for Ealing as a borough moving forward and Hanger Hill as a ward and um, how will you kind of work towards um, dealing with those?
1: So I think that the three key things that, are, that, that I've said sort of throughout this this campaign in terms of the priorities and what i think some of the key challenges are one is i think as like i said is is dealing with overdevelopment in Ealing. looking at how we can get uh, you know get the council listening ensuring that we get you know deve- you know clearly we need homes but we don't need high-rise buildings going up sort of you know per- the personal house development i think it's 26 stories there are you know buildings up to 40 stories in acton you know how, how can we you know really to, to to deal with that so we're not getting you know high-rise over developments we need good quality you know, family homes in Ealing, in the borough. Uh, The second thing is, in terms of looking at LTNs, is, you know, getting less, again, uh, residents listened to, but also no, because I know the council have plans for potentially further LTNs, but no, you know, no new LTNs or new new traffic schemes without proper prior resident consultation, and that's really important. The third thing is dealing with fly tipping and antisocial behaviour. I know that uh, just just yesterday, a number of residents were talking to me about uh, fly tipping uh, in Hanger Hill, and, and looking at how we can address that. There's different potentially different solutions for different different parts of Eden because there's different there's potentially different reasons why fly tipping is happening there within the ward. So um, so th- those would be the three key things that I would say are, are the challenges that that I want to address. Um, it, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected on on the sixth of May.
0: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Fabio. Um, it was really Thank you interesting talking to you and um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
1: That's right, no problem. (laughs)